from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerialist. And we are now part of the Digitant Podcast Network. How's it going, guys? Hope you're doing well. Before we get started, let's talk about a couple things. So Roll It Out is now happening. Live virtual 60-minute body rolling classes taught by little me. I get to actually see you in person on Zoom. So uh, we're just checking out and trying out time. So this coming week... Uh, it's going to be Sunday, 7 p.m. Pacific time. You can also uh, take the recording as many times as you want during the week. So check that on the show notes. Also, if you're interested in aerial rehab, the uh, ground to air progression, that's meant to be the bridge between PT and the air. And then also my full uh, comprehensive curriculum course. Check out those links on my website. And today, we have Dawn Tucker. She's an aerialist and executive director of the Flagstaff Shakespeare Festival. She is also uh, a new mama. We talk about her breastfeeding issues, including Renaud's in the nipples. I learn something new every day. You'll find out all about that. I'd never heard of it. She had morning sickness. Uh, we talk about unsolicited comments while pregnant. She had trouble gaining weight prenatal, and she had some postpartum air anxiety that she's still uh, navigating. All right, guys, I'm so excited for you guys to meet Dawn. Let's get started. Dawn, yeah, if you would just introduce yourself, what you do for a living, um, talk about your family a little bit, where, you're, where you live, all that. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm Dawn Tucker. I'm the executive director of the Flagstaff Shakespeare Festival, and I'm also a trapeze teacher at Momentum Aerial Arts, which is in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, I live in Flagstaff with my family, and I also grew up here in Flagstaff. So I have a 10-month-old son, which is wild. They just grow so fast. Um, And then I also live with my husband, uh, who's a newspaper reporter, and my mother also lives with us. Oh, that's amazing. So you've got one kiddo. Okay, cool. Um, Boy or girl? Did you say already? Boy. A little boy. No, I didn't say Um, are you Are you currently breastfeeding? Yeah. Yeah. I'm exclusively breastfeeding. Um, That was a super hard part of our journey. Like that was early breastfeeding. I think the first four months were probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, He and I just had, I think, every single issue possible through breastfeeding. Um, He was born with a tongue and lip tie. So he had to have that um, released. And then um, I had Renaud's, which I actually only had familiarity with through aerial arts because um, there's a fellow trapezist who has Renaud's in her fingers and toes, which is like where 
if they get cold, they sort of like free, like the blood vessels constrict and they sort of, it's very painful and they like um, seize up almost. But I had Renaud's in my nipples while I was breastfeeding. Um, I learned something new every single time I record a podcast. (laughs) I've never heard of Renaud's and I've never heard of obviously Renaud's in the nipples. How common is this? Um, it's not super common, but it, like my lactation consultant and I strongly recommend a lactation consultant to anyone who's like dedicated to breastfeeding and struggling, um, which we did, but she, she recognized it. It took her a little while to diagnose it, but she recognized it pretty quickly. So it can't be totally uncommon. It was something she knew to kind of think about and look for. Um, so she was able to help us with that and like how to get through that and how to work on that. And then once the weather warmed up, it really kind of went away because it is like a cold reaction thing. So um, wait, back up. What yeah. happens to the nipples and what does that feel like? Um, it's really painful. It feels like, uh, it feels like after, like if you're, you know, if your hand falls asleep, oh. you know, that like feeling that like sharp tingly feeling after so I would get that at letdown and for the first few minutes of breastfeeding obviously during breastfeeding it you know like your nipple is then in a warm moist environment (laughs) of the baby's mouth so it eases up as you go so it was really something that hurt when he wasn't nursing um or right at the beginning of nursing or right during letdown. I mean, letdown to me never felt good anyway. Like it, it does, it wasn't a good feeling. And I can't imagine that on top of it because it's happening multiple times a day, especially if you try to actually go do something else and come back and nurse your kid. (laughs) Oh my God. Never heard of that in my life. Okay. So really challenging but did you guys get to a did you guys get to a good place with it oh yeah we're in a great place now I'm a little nervous now that it's getting cold again um because honestly I think just like summer and the warmth helped a lot with the Renauds so I'm nervous that it's going to start up now that it's getting cold here again I'm like oh no am I in for it but everything else we really worked out and now we have I think a really strong um, you know, I, I've always kind of balked at the phrase breastfeeding relationship. It's just not how it feels to me. Um, I get that for some reason that for a lot of women, that is how it feels. And that's like a really like great goal and a comforting thing to establish a breastfeeding relationship. Um, it's not how it feels to me. It feels, you know, like, um, like something I do for him. It, it doesn't feel like a reciprocal, I guess, which is what I would expect out of a relationship. So I don't know if that's just because it started off so hard for us. Um, but to me now, it's something that I do for him because I want to do it for him. Um, it's more of like a service. Is that too weird to say? No, it's not. And I love that you're saying this because there are other women out there that feel that way who might not necessarily think that other people believe that for me I felt like a yeah like a cow yeah being milked I mean of course (laughs) me and my daughter have a very like we're we're inseparable in ways that other parents and their kids are not like I Mm -hmm. co-sleep with my child and that's always been the case because she wouldn't sleep otherwise so not apart during sleeping 
We also take uh-huh. all of our showers together. Oh. Um, and I don't have a nanny. So like I'm always <laughs> with my daughter and I, I still felt that way. I, not to say that I didn't enjoy it in some place. You know what I enjoyed the most? I enjoyed us making eye contact when she was breastfeeding. That's what I enjoyed a lot. Yeah. I love that. And that's the moments at which it feels like, you know, that lovely, like warm connection people are talking about. Um, But that's... he doesn't make eye contact during a lot of it. He's just kind of like zoned out, you know? He's like, I'm and eating so- lunch right now. Don't bother me. <laughs> yeah. So to me, it's just something, it's an important thing that I do for him. I know why I do it. Like I know all the like health benefits and like, honestly for us, the financial benefits. Yeah. Um, well, there's also and, a shortage. Uh, well, is, the, is yeah. there still, there was a shortage. You know, so that, yeah, there was a shortage. Yeah. So that was a big thing is it was like, well, you know, this is something I can do where I'm sure it's just there. Um, and I, and that's super lucky like that. Not every woman has that. So I feel lucky to be able to breastfeed him and to have what we have going on as far as breastfeeding now. Um, but of course now we're in the stage where I'm like, well, you know, what does weaning look like? Like, I have no idea. He's still eating five times a day during the day. And I'm like, shouldn't this be like, should we be moving towards solids soon? Should we, you know, he eats some solids. He spits out a lot of solids, but that adds a whole nother layer where you're like, I don't know when this is going to change. Um, and trying to just trust that it will change as it's supposed to, but also feeling like I don't know anything. I know nothing about breastfeeding. You know, I feel like we're so isolated in it as a culture. And, um, you know, I was reading a book on breastfeeding and she was talking about women in cultures where, you know, everyone just breastfeeds and everyone breastfeeds openly. They spend their entire life learning to breastfeed. And I was talking to my husband about this just this morning. And I was like, my like doula showed me a slideshow and was like, here's what breastfeeding is. And it was like, so I was expected to learn how to breastfeed in like, you know, 20 minutes from a slideshow. And and I I wasn't around it or experiencing it or like knowing what it was. So again, my lactation consultant was like crazy important to me and really helpful. But um, yeah, it's just, it's a wild thing that's just, it becomes this full-time job that no one trained you for. Yeah. No one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I do feel like Europeans are better at this. Um. I mean, it's like every single time I get on this podcast, I start talking down on America because there's so many things that we (laughs) need to fix. I am very proud to live in this country and to be American, but uh, there's a lot of room for improvement there. And then the other thing that we kind of passed over that I was thinking was you live in Arizona. It's not ever that cold there, right? Well, we live, because we live in Flagstaff, so we're 7,000 feet elevation so it's actually quite cold here really yeah like today I think yeah today it's in the 60s we we actually had to turn the heat on for the first time today but it'll get it gets really cold here and it snows a lot oh my goodness who knew I always think like oh Phoenix these people are hot all the time no not not the case okay no we're like two hours from Phoenix and we are a completely different um uh what do you Temper- call it? Ecosystem. ecosystem temperate zone everything because you're yeah, yeah. high Ooh, okay yeah and it's dry there it's it must be very yeah. dry because it's 
Arizona, plus you have the altitude. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's cold sometimes and it's very dry. <laughs> um, and you have trained your whole aerial life at altitude. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I, I have, um, I've gone down to Phoenix to train a couple times. Um, there was someone there who I was specifically working with and I can't say I felt like a huge difference, not being at altitude, but maybe I would if I like did it, you know, sustained, but yeah, I've, I've always trained here at altitude. Well, maybe it would be felt more by people who actually aren't used to Flagstaff and then they train in Flagstaff. That might be a very interesting, uh, experiment. Um, Okay. So uh, is there anything about your, your um, prenatal birth postpartum that stands out to you that you'd like to share? Well, I was really excited when you asked me to do this podcast because honestly, Ariel was the most empowering part of my pregnancy. Um, I did not enjoy pregnancy. (laughs) Um, I'm again, very grateful that I got pregnant. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like we kind of like, there is this idea that you're supposed to be so grateful that you were able to get pregnant or like that you are pregnant, that you're not supposed to talk about hating it. Um, and I was pretty vocal about how much I disliked it. And, and for me, that actually opened up this whole community of women who were like, Oh my God, I hated my pregnancy too, but I didn't feel like I could talk about it. Um, and, you know, I, I was always extremely grateful. I'm so grateful to have my son. I would do it all over again for him. Um, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it again to have another baby, <laughs> but he was worth it. Um, but yeah, I really hit, you know, it was really sick in the beginning. Um, I had a miscarriage right before I had him. I got pregnant with him and that was so traumatizing. I was not ready for how traumatizing that was. Um, and then, um, you know, the early pregnancy, I was just so sick. I could hardly like keep it together teaching Ariel while like, you know, in that like first trimester nausea was insane. I tried everything, like every trick in the book. Um, and then, uh, I just had a really negative experience around, outside of Ariel, I had a really negative experience about how entitled people felt to comment on my body. Yes. And yeah, it was, I mean, constantly. And I think people thought they were being nice because their comments would always be like, oh, you look so great. Oh, you're so tiny. Oh, you can't possibly be X months pregnant. But, you know, little did they know that on the like medical side of it, my lack of weight gain was like a concern and a problem with Uh. my. So they were like legitimately concerned about my baby, baby's growth and birth, potential birth weight. And here are people being like, oh my God, you look amazing. You're so tiny. And it was like the biggest stress factor of my pregnancy. Uh, So so it just added to it. Yeah. It was like, please, like, just, (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about and you don't know what a stressor this already is for me. So to have people from the outside, like also bombarding me with it, um, it was just really painful. And luckily, like everything was fine. He was small. He was six pounds, seven ounces, but that's a perfectly healthy birth weight. And, um, you know, and he was totally healthy when he was born. So luckily it wasn't a problem, but throughout my pregnancy, there was always this like looming cloud of like, 
are you're not you know like like you're not doing everything right to make your baby healthy and then people being like oh my god you look amazing you're so tiny and it was like no like this is my largest stress factor um but I never felt that in the studio I have amazing you know like my mentor and teacher she has had several pregnant like students that she's worked with and she empowered me so much in the studio like she kind of made this long list of when she thought I would have to give up like certain things um in Ariel like when we would start to cull things out and honestly like I didn't have to cull very much out at all only only um hip hangs like you know anything sort of on my uh belly mm-hmm. but my abs never split so I was able to do beats do inverts do you know like I have a picture of myself doing a back balance at eight and a half months and doing toe walks at eight and a half months and like everyone in the studio was just so like interested in what was going on and like how it felt and like so trusting of me as a aerial practitioner to just like do what felt good in my body and keep practicing aerial until I didn't want to. And honestly, yeah, I, 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 I taught to seven and a half months and then I practiced to eight and a half months and I didn't have a reason for quitting. I just went in one day to an open gym and I was like, actually, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like getting up there. (laughs) And I was like, okay, that's like my body telling me it's time to stop until he's born. Um, But yeah, I actually found it to be a really amazing experience for me in direct contrast to what the rest of like culture was throwing at me. Because instead of comments about like the size of my body, people were just like, wow, you're so strong and you're still practicing. And like, that's so cool, you know? And I remember Morgan saying it, that's my mentor and teacher, Morgan um, Louvier, who's one of the co-owners of Momentum, where I work. She's a fabulous human. Um, I remember her saying at one point, like, oh, you're only getting stronger because now, like, you're doing pull-ups with a 25-pound weight belt, essentially. Like, <laughs> you know, she's like, you're just going to keep getting stronger. <laughs> I was like, how cool. And it was really fun and empowering for me. So a very The wonderful thing about our community is that there's this understanding that there's no reason to tell a woman what they should or shouldn't be doing. We need to trust each other that, that you know, your body and, and I don't know about you. And I think this is probably the same for almost every listener. It's like when somebody tells, like, I know my body better than anybody else because I live in it and yeah, no one has any business telling me what to do with my body. <laughs> my doctor can make suggestions and like, you know, bring expertise to it or my practitioners that I trust. But, but yeah, my, my, one of my, one of my favorite moments when I was pregnant was like white men, it would only be white men. <laughs> Walking past me and making comments about my pregnant belly. And I, I was like, what the hell makes you think that you have any right to make a comment about anybody's body, anybody's pregnant body 
anything. Yeah. What kind of privilege do you have in your ingrained, you know, skin cells or whatever that makes you think that that is okay? Um, You know, and by the time you're in your third trimester, you have no time for any bullshit anyway. So like, (laughs) so like I, I held myself back because I knew it was going to become like an altercation of a conversation, but I wanted to scold this guy so badly. And he was an older gentleman. Mm. He wasn't a young man. Woo! Mm. That took every mm. bit of my uh, uh, <laughs> of my willpower to not bring that yeah. guy to school. Um, but mm. yeah, it's um, I, I feel like I have heard many many stories of of both um, women in our communities that were either. Uh, either DNA or just because they're sick all the time, uh, like, you know, like just not getting a lot of weight throughout the pregnancy. And then the opposite women who are super athletic, but then, you know, gain 50 to 80 pounds in the pregnancy, just based on hormones, et cetera. And, um, the comments out in the outside world, not in our safe spaces of our aerial lives, um, are, are beyond like, out of bounds, obnoxious, uh, everything. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know how we make people better. I don't, I don't know. I wish that there was a way to um, educate people because also podcasts like this, where also the people who are listening are our like-minded community as well. <laughs> you know, it's right. kind of insular. Right, right. <laughs> so I don't know, but I'm really sorry about that. And I, I know we are all with you because that is like, it's, it's like on one hand, just obnoxious and on the other, just so wrong. It's like, um, you don't know, people don't know what the person's going through. Like, uh, my good, my, one of my good friends had low amniotic fluid and it was partial with the reason why, why she looked like she wasn't as far along. And it was so stressful, so stressful. And then every comment on top of it just piled piled on so right yeah yeah. that's exactly what I felt it was just like just don't make a comment like you don't know what's going on and 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 it was frustrating because I do think people thought they were complimenting me and it was like please like you have no idea this is like you know your baby's not even born yet and your only concern yeah is are you meeting their physical needs and and you're being told potentially you aren't and it's so stressful, you know, and it's just like, but then at the end, I think it's what you said, right? Like we have to, we also have to trust our own bodies. Like I wish I had spent my whole pregnancy just saying like, I know my body is doing the right thing for my baby. So I was getting all this low weight, low weight, low weight, but you know, his heart rate was strong. Like all these other things were going right. And if I had just said, you know what? I believe that my body is doing what it needs to do to take care of this baby. I would have had such a more enjoyable pregnancy. Well, I, and I could have let go of that Yeah. Stress. And then also stress isn't good for the pregnancy. So it's like, it's no, like, it's yeah, like yeah. both. And then also, you know, to, <laughs> to like know what you can control and try to let go of the rest. It's just, I mean, that's such a hard thing to do period in life. With every single thing, that's probably been my biggest struggle in my entire life to 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 let go of the things that I can't control. 
So yes. hard to do. Uh, <laughs> so, so hard. Um, I was like, are you sure I can't control that though? But are you sure I can't control that? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like Ariel seems to attract a bit of a control freak type of personality. <laughs> I, I see that all the time in my students and myself. Oddly, because oddly up there, you can control things a lot. Yeah, you can. Um, I had a friend, I, I have another po- podcast called Greener Grass, and she was asking me what the actual risk level of my job is. And I was like, it was, it's a lot less than you think. It's a lot less because if you think about like, uh, you know, somebody playing tennis or somebody playing like a sport where there's a competitor, you have no control over the, uh, the variable that is the other person. Unless you were doing right. doubles, which in that case, even then, it's not as risky as you would think because the amount of trust that you build to work together. But when you have a competitor, you have an opponent, they're trying to knock you off your <laughs> game. Like you could get hit and like, what is the chance that somebody gets hit in the face with a tennis ball versus me losing all of my awareness and just falling like nothing, you know, very, very different yeah. calculation there. Um, and people don't necessarily seem to understand understand although i did have uh i teach uh silks one on sundays and yesterday i had a class and uh i was teaching something like um angel dive roll on silks which is just like a very basic forward salto it's one of the first drops i teach people because there's around four safeties that i can count so if they if they mess up on three of them they're still in the air and this girl Mm -hmm. is really strong and she dropped the drop with me watching, with me talking her through it, and she didn't do two out of the four things. And I'm like, get down now. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, you have to be aware enough to do all the things that I'm talking about in the same motion. And she's learning it at the right time, too. She's not too early to learn it. She's very strong. But people's brains... You know, if their brain isn't trained to it, you know, it's such a mental, it's such a mental activity. Sorry, I just started a lecturing. You're not my student. No, no. This is what I do no. in class. I'm like, no, that's not, yeah. that's not okay. It's, it's really funny because um, the one, I did one private lesson with like some friends and family, just four people, a friend, my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, and my husband. And I was teaching them, you know, like the first two moves we learn in trapeze 1A, and one of which is called bird's nest. It's very, very, very safe, but you cannot let go with your hands. You have to hold on with your hands. I say it over and over. I've never had a student let go with their hands. They've, you know, they always hold on. It's perfectly safe. My husband lets go with his hands. And I was like, of course, of course, you're the one, (laughs) the only student I've ever had who let go with their hands. (laughs) I mean, luckily he's tall and he was on a very short trapeze and it was a very short fall to the ground. But I was like, man, of course it's you. (laughs) You know, it's, I say it all the time. I'm like, it might feel obvious, but don't let go. Like, unless (laughs) I say, this is where you let go. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the danger we're talking about. It's like doing something you're not (laughs) supposed to be doing. When I, when I was reading, uh, like, you know, just scrolling through the mama's group, uh, you were talking about in a post that you were having some anxiety getting back into the air postpartum. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So like I said, I was super lucky through my pregnancy. I didn't have any, my abs didn't split at all. 
Um, so I had no diastasis and I was able to get back in the air two months postpartum. And honestly, it was emotionally too soon. I was physically ready and I needed to feel like myself again. Um, especially that like those early postpartum hormones, um, are so hard. Breastfeeding was so hard. Um, and I just thought like, I need some part of normalcy and some part of my life back, but I emotionally wasn't ready to be back on the trapeze. I wasn't ready to be away from my baby really like it, you know, without a way, I don't know. It was just... It was very emotionally confusing and hard for me. And I started off in a like very beginner level class. I just started taking um, a a beginner flow class and that was at, at Morgan's suggestion. And she was absolutely right to kind of like push me to that class and to try something to really ease me in. And what was the apparatus for this class? Trapeze. Trapeze trapeze is your, is your primary. It's my, it's kind of my only, I mean, I would say that I dabble, I've tried them all and that I dabble also in Lyra, but trapeze is like my apparatus. You're like the opposite aerialist as me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not everyone's like. No, and jam. no, it's, it's, da- well, Silks is not everybody's jam either. So keep on going. Yeah. 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 So, um, so then about five months postpartum, I, 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 crept back up into like close to my level of where I left, um, but still a lower level. And uh, I messed something up uh, something that I have done a million times. And for years and years, something called a gazelle swizzle, um, which is an invert crochet and then a swizzle down just one rope to the bar. Nothing happened. I did not get hurt. I did not mess it up to the level where anything, I just scared myself a tiny bit. And then I could not do it again. Like I could not, like I would start to feel this and like anxious. And then when we started learning new things that put me even like a, like a little bit of discomfort or I thought like that doesn't seem safe um I used to be like completely fearless especially because like you're talking about you get to a point as an at a as an aerialist where you trust your own strength you're like even if something goes wrong I know I know how to hold on to this apparatus I know how to get out of whatever I'm in I know how to get down safely even if not correctly but I I kind of lost that um confidence so you know, I have started working with Morgan privately on like building back up to those skills. Cause there, then there was a second one where I scared myself again, nothing bad happened. Not, you know, like I just, I had a moment in the air of like, uh, what do I do? And then it was like, no, I can never do that again. So we've gotten, we actually got past one of them. She's really great at deconstructing a skill and having me do a little bit of it at a time. And we got past one of them and now I can do it all the time. It's fine. The other one we're still working on. But in class, when new things come up, if I feel like it's going to scare me, um, I just don't do it. Uh, I don't not... I don't not do it. Like I'm trying to explain, I'm trying to figure out how to explain, but I have to do things in steps. So yesterday we were working on something called L handstand, which is probably like the most precarious handstand you can do in a a trapeze. Um, And I just told her, you know what? 
I know I can do, like, I know I can invert crochet. I know I can get, you know, like one hand down to the bar. I think I can get my other toe on the rope, but I'm probably going to stop there instead of completing the move. And she was like, great, stop there. Um, So I've had to figure out like that really what's happened is not so much that I can't do the things or I'm too scared of the things, but that if I scare myself, I'm really in trouble. Like with that move, it's going to take me a lot longer to get back to it. Whereas before, if I messed something up, it was almost more of an impulse to work harder on that skill. I'd be like, okay, well, I messed it up. Like I need to drill that on my non-dominant side every day until I'm doing it perfectly. And now it's like, I messed it up and I'm terrified of it and I can't go back to it. And I think it, you know, Someone in, in my class did, who's, who is a medical professional did come up and say, like, I want you to know that this is totally medically normal. Like the hormones that go along with breastfeeding also create this anxiety, this protective anxiety. Like, obviously, if something happens to you while you're breastfeeding your baby, like that's like evolutionarily bad. (laughs) So your body is naturally telling you, don't do that risky thing. Don't do that scary thing. Like be safe, be cautious. Um, so yeah, that's been my biggest struggle getting back into it. But I actually think that like what I've just learned, what I've learned in cooperation with Morgan is I have to do what doesn't scare me and then keep adding on as I feel confident. Um, I can't kind of just like go for it the way I used to. Okay. So I'm interested in what this is feels like in the moment. Like, is it just a visceral fear or are you actually having thoughts of your son? Both. Okay. Yeah, both. I think about him. Um, and, and that's the weird thing is like any of my anxiety will bring this up. And there are times, you know, this, this anxiety definitely goes beyond, um, Ariel for me, this like, I don't know that it's postpartum anxiety because when people suffer from that, you see like such a deeper level, but it's some form of that. And it always goes to my son. So like the theater company that I run, we had a lightning storm and we perform outdoors and I had to text my husband. Like I knew my baby was napping and I was like, please send me a picture of Blake. Like, I don't care if it's like a picture of the monitor, but I need to see him right now and see that he's okay. Whereas, you know, like he was home sleeping and I was in the middle of a lightning storm Mm. and it was like, I know he's okay right now. Like everything, like my whole body was just, but it is also visceral. Like, I feel like I'm, I feel super nauseous. Okay. Um, when it happens and, uh, I feel like, um, like frozen. I feel really frozen, which is what you don't want on an aerial apparatus. Right. So that's oh, yeah. what I've talked about. Talks to Morgan is like, I, I know that the worst thing that I can do in most precarious situations is decide to bail. And I know not to bail. And I know everything I can do. That's not bailing. <laughs> like, I know exactly how to get myself out of the position that I'm in. And yet this specific fear strikes me instead of what I would normally do of being like, oh, I'm a little confused or I feel a little precarious. Okay. Like 
regret, regrip, reposition, figure it out, get down safely. Um, my whole body says bail, 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 bail. Like, would you, freeze. would you characterize it as a panic attack? It feels kind of like that. Okay. Um, it doesn't come with the, like, I've definitely had panic attacks. It doesn't come with the same, like, um, heightened anxiety like it's not like the um I don't know whenever I've had a I've only had one or two in my life um and they've been around very very big life events but that has more of a like um kind of like fluttery anxiety Mm -hmm. and like a (laughs) and this is more of a like oh I feel sick and I can't move so like I can't move. interesting. Um, I'm very glad that people are way more open to talking about anxiety. I think so much, so many of us suffer. I'm, I'm permanently like treated on, on Zola for anxiety because I'm not normal. I'm not what I consider a normal person without it. But it's so interesting because I talk about my anxiety all the time and my students and people around me ask me, then how can I be an, an aerial teacher? How can I do it as a profession? But my anxiety comes up in my life in completely different ways than what people would expect. Like I had postpartum yeah. anxiety disorder. I don't know if we call it a disorder, or if it's just a phase, but it, it manifested in not being able to rest. For example, like I would try to go take a nap and the whole time I would be racing in my head that, the time is ticking. I'm not sleeping yet. I'm not sleeping yet. Yes. Oh, yes. That's how it would manifest myself versus, you know, then I learned later on from my friend who's a therapist that this is one of the markers of postpartum anxiety because if sleeping does not give you a sense of relief, because I would wake up mm-hmm. and I would feel the same way. Like, yeah. And she's like, this is, this is not normal postpartum, you know, I, it, I would be weepy all the time, more than hormonal in my entire life. All of my responses would be crying. And therefore that really colors your relationships because then you're, you're turning a regular relationship conversation into one person's crying and hysterical. And then the other person's just trying to have a normal conversation. It's like, it affects, it affects but in such different ways, this, this, this broad, broad, broad scope of what anxiety can look like and feel like and manifest itself. And it's interesting as well to me that you are an instructor. You've been instructor for how many years? Uh, two or three. Now I can't remember. A couple of years. And then practicing pre-pandemic. So I guess at least. Okay. Yeah. So, so (laughs) previous practice of it, and then you became an instructor and can you imagine, I'm sure we all can being a student, just a student, not having any, any like inclination to be a teacher or even getting close to that going through a pregnancy and then having these same emotions going back in the air, how, heightened that might even be to not have the level of uh, knowledge that you or I might have. And then to also be dealing with that anxiety. I think that's really real for a lot of my students and I have, and I have to do that work with them um, as well because every, it manifests itself differently in every single person. And then if you don't have 
that air awareness that you have, if you don't have that, um, the knowledge of what you're doing, because you, you know, sometimes you learn stuff, but for the most part, you know, a lot of the stuff it's really in you. Um, I think yeah. that can be super challenging, super challenging for a lot of students coming into it and then trying to come back to it. So, okay. So is there anything else like, uh, about like where you're at with your practice right now compared to balancing being a mom, um, balancing the schedule, what it's like balancing your job. Tell me a little bit about how um, that creative aspect at your job um, kind of melds with your aerial practice, any of that stuff. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, luckily we've been able to, we work with momentum on a lot of projects um, we've even done some aerial in some of our plays that Amazing. we do. So that's been super fun. Yeah. So I love that. Um, as far as like balancing everything, I'm super lucky in that my job is, you know, like I'm my own boss and so I can make my own hours. I do take Blake to, uh, he goes to Montessori daycare nice. for four half days a week. And that's huge for me. Um, I had such a struggle with like, you know, before he was going there with this feeling of like, every time I was working, just feeling like I should be with my baby. And every time I was with my baby, feeling like I should be working. Um, and the lovely thing about, you know, taking him there is such amazing care providers. Like they, they really, they teach him something every day and he loves being around the other kiddos. Um, but what's great about it is then it provides me a little bit of time where I can be working and not thinking I should be with my baby. I should be with my baby. I should be with my baby. It's just time where it's like, okay, I'm just working right now and he's somewhere else and he's fine. And someone else is taking care of him. Um, because otherwise that like that division was the hardest adjustment to me from being, you know, like, um, professional to being a professional and a mom it was like okay how do I um how do I balance the guilt I think there's like a lot of guilt that comes with both sides like I've always heard it described as mom guilt but for me it was both sides of it it was guilt like I'm not doing my job Mm -hmm. and I really love my job and I really you know um love being part of this artistic community and so feeling like I was letting my company down but then feeling like I was letting my baby down and like that was really hard um Ariel works out really nicely because the studio is super close to me so on Sundays I do like you know just like a three-hour block um and then usually whenever else I go in it's just for an hour so it fits in really nicely to our schedule it's like you know he's napping or he's with my mom. We're insanely lucky to have essentially live in childcare also. Oh um, my goodness. I didn't even think about that. If, if my mom yeah. was here, it would change my life a lot. Yeah. Yes. A lot. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, it came out of, so my son is named after my dad. Um, my dad was named Blake and my dad died very suddenly and uh, very, very unexpectedly uh, before I knew I was pregnant. But like just after I had gotten pregnant, I had no oh, wow. idea I was pregnant yet. 
Wow. Um, and so that series of events led to my mother living with us here. And so she's been here um, from when I was pregnant. So she was here from day one. And that was just like insanely helpful. I, I don't know how women do postpartum without essentially like live in because there were a lot of mornings where, you know, I would wake up in the morning, feed him, pass him off to her and go back to bed. It was like, I got like this extra, you know, hour, two hours of sleep that I can't imagine living without during that time when you're up all night, essentially. Um, yeah. So it's wonderful because of course, you know, like she wants to be with him. She loves yeah. being with him. And uh, so it's pretty easy to just say, Hey, could you watch him for an hour while I do this thing? Or even to sit up there, you know, like sit up with her, with my computer, just set it up and have him playing with her. And I'm on my computer doing work and it doesn't feel like I'm, you know, like neglecting him. Like I don't have to put him you know, like, you know, away. <laughs> he has a little, he has a little like, you know, uh, play pen. And I know there's all kinds of thoughts on that kind of thing, but like, if you're alone, which sometimes I, I mean, I end up alone a lot still. Uh, and if you're alone and you need to like pee or do some work, like you've got to have a place to put your kid. <laughs> so yeah, um, I called it a baby jail and I was very happy to have it. And I, I, uh, I experienced that for one week for maybe a week and a half, uh, in my first trimester and it saved my life because by the time my mom, she came when she, when, when the baby was born, but then she came at the three month mark. And by then my, my sleep deprivation, I mean, I thought I was going crazy because this whole like there was no passing her off. And then also my child would never sleep by herself. Like I couldn't put her down really. Um, that first trimester was, I, I still say it and I don't know what life has in store for me, but it, it is and still is the hardest time I've ever had in my life because of yeah. all of those factors. And um, yeah, I, every time I see, another woman who has a little bit more support. I'm just like, Oh my God, thank God for you. Thank God. Thank God for you. Because uh, you know, it's like, I wouldn't like postpartum without a lot of support. I would not wish that on anybody. And a lot of people had to go through that because the pandemic, like it was before the pandemic. If it was, I don't know, six, eight months after my parents would not have been able to visit because we would have been worried about COVID and they're older, you know, it's not like they, Mm -hmm. they only just took their first plane flight. Recently, you know, like three years later, there was a whole how many years that they didn't see my daughter because the pandemic, you know, it's just like, and this is a lot of people, a lot of people went through that. So, um, yeah, yeah, Don, I think this is really a great um, uh, perspective for the other listeners out there. We talked about anxiety. We talked about this breastfeeding thing. It's like, I say it all the time. We need to make it a more normal thing to talk about these things. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy that this podcast seems like it's a very safe space, but in, in other, in other, in other ways, people need to be able to hear this too, that are not like, I, sometimes I wonder like if, if like a non-aerialist finds this podcast and they attach to it, like, how do they deal with some of the talk? You know, like, <laughs> like I know how to invert and crochet, but then that last twizzle, down to an angle hang like I just don't know about that like how is a non-aerialist supposed to what are they supposed to do with that 
because I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel like that every time I talk to my husband about Ariel, like last night, he was just asking about, he was asking about something. I actually felt really impressed. He knew what something was that I just did not expect him to know. But I always, yeah, he's like, oh, how was class today? I was like, oh yeah, we worked on an L handstand and upside down boat. And like, you know, and it's like, do you? <laughs> we understand each other like, to a certain extent even even the terms between like-minded aerialists you switch up the apparatus yeah. or you switch up the city you're in is completely out the window um right. but but yeah i appreciate you carving out the time we had a little man let me tell you i am not good at math and i am not good at languages and i'm not good at time zones and so we had a time zone mess up because apparently Arizona does not follow daylight savings time and mountain nope. time and Pacific time match for six months out of the year. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Um, but thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. This is, like I said, it was the most empowering part of my pregnancy. And so like getting to talk about it and kind of relive it again is such a joy. All right. Thank you so much to Dawn for being with us today. If you want to find her on Instagram, she is at Circus Girl Next Door. The studio she trains at, at Momentum Aerial Arts. And the podcast that she hosts is called Untamed Shrews. And I'll leave links for you guys in the show notes. Again, if you want to go to the show notes and find links to sign up for weekly virtual live roll it out class you know you need it just uh just try me out there's a 14 day free trial so there's there's no risk at all and uh arrow rehab and then my comprehensive course check it out there and if you love hearing this on my voice and are just needing more of it there's also greener grass which is a podcast all about ordinary people living extraordinary lives it's me and my girlfriend Kelly, who I grew up with. We danced uh, in high school, re, uh, reconnected, and we started this thing. It's growing. We interview all types of people. It's definitely broader than this very niche topic that we have here. So if you want to if you want to listen to other people's stories from, from all around the world, check that out. All right. Uh, honor us with a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts. Check out Digitent Podcast Network. There's a lot of health and wellness uh, brands there that have amazing podcasts. And uh, thanks to Asa Wackens, our sound engineer. I appreciate you. Please uh, give any comments. Let me know what you think. And uh, yeah, really appreciate you guys signing off. See you next time. This is the